Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, well, good morning, Community of Hope East Campus. How are we doing? Awesome. Awesome. Great to be here with you guys. Hey, before we go any further in service, can we just honor the presence of Jesus that's here in this room that we just experienced in worship? Can we say thank you to him one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jose and Lenz and Leah and the whole team. Oh, my gosh. If I can't preach after that, I need to go sell vacuum cleaners or something like that. My goodness. Well, it's great to be back here again with everybody this week. Um, It's great to be here. Yes, this is the real me. It is not a hologram of me. It's not me on the screen. I'm here in person. It's great to be here with you guys. Uh, Last week, I was on the screen. And isn't it interesting you with the screen stuff that people talk about? For the first couple minutes, you notice Trevor's on the screen. And then after like minute three and on, you forget that I'm actually not here in the room. Is that it? Somebody told me that this morning. Okay, maybe only one person feels that way, but cool. No, but it's great to be here with you guys uh, live and in the flesh. It's great to be back at the East Campus today. That there is a clip of a really great creative TV show that's on, uh, that's on right now that's going to be really pertinent to what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Oh, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I have uh, one quick thing to tell everybody about before we jump into service day, just kind of public service announcement. A couple weeks ago, we handed you cards about Easter and times and location for Easter. Everybody do me a favor, throw that out, okay? Uh, the city of Wellington, we were originally planning on meeting at the amphitheater there outside. I hear that some of you are very excited about it. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to go outside to an amphitheater in Wellington for Easter. Uh, the city of Wellington changed some of their policies around their, their amphitheater, and we just decided, you know what, this isn't going to fit us anymore. So we're going back to what normal Easter's look like. Easter is going to be right here in this room at the East Campus at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Yep. So... um Invite everybody you know. It's going to be awesome. This is the most creative Easter we have ever done yet. And what we're producing online, we have already filmed all of it a month ahead of time. It's the most creative online endeavor our church has ever done. Invite people to Easter. Share what we're doing online with people. And we're praying that this is the biggest Easter yet in the history of Community of Hope. Not for our namesake, but that's so that more people will come to know the love of Jesus this year than ever in the history of our church. Amen? Amen. Amen to that. So speaking of that, if you are new with us or a guest here today, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Folk. We're glad that you joined us here today. Let's jump right on into our message. So we already gave it away. What's the name of the TV show we just saw a clip from? Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss. Super creative TV show on CBS. And uh, it's Really, really fun. It's really interesting. We'll get to the premise here in a moment. Uh, I love in that episode, it came from the season debut of this season, debuted in January, where they had famous quarterback Drew Brees. He owns that restaurant. It's called Walk-Ons. And they had Drew Brees, who's the owner of the restaurant, put on all those prosthetics, kind of look like, you know, homeboy Texas Jesus. I don't know. And uh, going in to help serve in the restaurant and do dishes with everybody there. Which, you know, it's great to see Drew Brees. Drew Brees, if you're a football fan, you know he's probably retiring because the Bucks beat up on him so bad in January. No, wait, that's not what I want to say. That's mean-spirited. No, I'm just kidding. Drew Brees is a great man. He won NFL Man of the Year. He's a devout 
Jesus follower, and he's a great man. He's had an awesome legacy in New Orleans with him recovering from Katrina. He's a great man, right? Amen? Amen to that. So, if you have never seen Undercover Boss, don't worry about it. It's super creative. Let me tell you about it. So, it's a two-time Emmy award-winning reality series. Listen to this. This is how they describe themselves. That follows high-level executives as they slip anonymously into the rank and file of their own organization. Each week, a different leader will sacrifice the comfort of the corner office for an undercover mission to examine the inner workings of their operation. I love that. So they're leaving the C-suite, the corner office, to go to the ground-level operations, whatever organization they're in. This has been on for 10 seasons, tons of organizations, big and small alike. Some episodes are really interesting. When the boss, the CEO, leaves whatever position they're in to undercover serve with everybody else, sometimes they learn that, oh, I'm actually a bad boss and my organization has a toxic culture. Oh, no. And then other times, you could see the beauty of some of these organizations, and instead of a self-revelation of how bad some of these bosses are, you could see the beautiful heart behind some of their bosses. Can I tell you about the favorite episode I saw this week in preparing to preach? That's right, I watched Undercover Boss to learn how to preach. So, um, my favorite reveal was of a sports retail chain up in the Northeast. I never heard of it. I'm, you know, I'm from West Coast, I'm from Florida. But anyway, the CEO of this retail sports chain was serving with a sales associate who is earning minimum wage uh, in their organization. This woman who worked so hard, who was so loving and loyal and good to all of their customers, good to him as a fellow employee to help train him up, he found out that she would work hard, faithfully do her job, go pick up her kids, and then she and her kids every single night were having to sleep in a homeless shelter because they couldn't afford rent and they had come on hard times. And so you know what this boss did at the end of the episode? He pulls her and says, surprise, I'm actually the CEO of the whole organization. A couple things. One, I want to promote you to assistant manager. Very cool. Two, I want to give you a check for $14,000 or $14,000 raise right now. And three, and this is when this big old gruff dude starts doing big New Jersey sobbing, crying, and tells her, and I want to tell you today, right away, move out of the homeless shelter. Do not ever go back there ever again. Here's a check for you. You've already paid the taxes on it for $250,000. You never be homeless ever again. Isn't that awesome? So good. This big old New Jersey dude is sobbing huge tears. I'm sobbing huge tears. It's such an awesome show. And what I'm here to tell you today is we love this show because of Jesus. We actually do. Nobody does this anymore where the leader leaves their spot to come to the lowest place and to get to know people on the bottom rung of an organization. The reason we think these stories are beautiful and inspiring and persuasive is actually because of the person that we just sang to in this room, Jesus of Nazareth. See, we're in this series called Descending Into Greatness, not Ascending Into Greatness, Descending Into Greatness. You guys can go ahead and off that slide. We're talking about Descending Into Greatness where we're learning in the series a few weeks ago that the whole idea of humility was never even a virtue. Never virtue in all of Western civilization if it weren't for the person of Jesus, not just his teachings or his persona, but it was actually the execution of Jesus and how he died on a Roman cross 
and how that influenced the entire Roman Empire, all of Western civilization forever. If you took this show, Undercover Boss, and put it in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, first off, they thought, what is this magic square that's showing me people on this? They wouldn't have understood TV. But if you took to them the concept of Undercover Boss, all of them would have thought it's shameful. But now because of the life and the influence of Jesus and how we see things differently, now we see it as beautiful and inspiring and persuasive. Last week when you guys saw me on the screen, we talked about how we learned that Jesus was in very nature God. In this series, we're doing two things. We're doing one hand, we're talking deep theology about the person of Jesus. It's called Christology. And at the same time, we're learning about humility. Because our culture has a crisis of humility. And last week we talked about Jesus, even though he was in very nature God, in very nature God, he chose to lower himself. And what we can learn from that is because Jesus knew exactly who he was, and that was the beginning place of his humility, us learning exactly who we are and coming to agreement with God about who we are is our beginning place for humility as well. And so today we are going back to our passage in Philippians chapter 2. So if you haven't yet, go and open up your phone, your COH app, or open up your Bible, or however you read. If you don't have any of that, don't worry about it. We're going to have it on the screen, and we're going to jump in to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now this is this famous hymn that the first church sang. We talked about this last week. This is the oldest piece of Christian literature literature that we have. This was a song that the Apostle Paul is quoting, and it was written before even a decade had passed of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And we're taking this series to walk through this classic ancient hymn to teach us about Jesus and about humility. So it says here in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, here's what we're going to do for today. We're going to rewind. We're going to focus in. We started with the very first phrase of verse six last week. Today we're going to read all of verses 6 and 7. We're going to put it on the screen. I want you to read this out loud with me, okay? Ready, go. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So, our first week, we called it why. Last week, we called it who. This week, the title of today's message is what? What? Would you pray with me? Lord, would you cause our eyes to open up, the spiritual eyes of our hearts. We pray the words of the psalmist that you would open our eyes 
to see wonderful things in your law. And Lord, we pray to the words of Jeremiah, I believe it's Jeremiah, that let your word be the fire and let our hearts be the wood it consumes. But Lord, not in a negative way or fearful way, we pray for holy fire that doesn't, um, that consumes all that is not of you. Because we just saying, we want you. Would you bring a purifying word to our hearts and to our lives and to our culture and our community and even our church today? We open ourselves to you and we listen to you. King Jesus, we pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so for the first part of what we're going to talk about today, and this is what we've done the past several weeks, we're going to talk for a few minutes about the background of the passage and we're going to talk some hardcore theology here in a moment. What we're trying to do here is talk about who is the person of Jesus? What is his character? What is his nature? What are the implications of what Christians believe that God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, chose to become a human being? What are the implications of this? We're trying to make a theological point first, and this is really important because if we don't understand this point first, you're going to completely miss how to apply this to your life when you walk out those doors and go to brunch later. It's very specific here. A lot of people have the wrong idea about verse 6 of what we just read. You know how Jesus, whom being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, Some people think of it this way, that Jesus, who being in very nature God, like we said, instead of saying something to be used to his own advantage, the, the original Greek term for this is that he didn't consider that something to be grasped. And so people think that, they, that Jesus doing this, it was that in spite of the fact that he was God, he chose not to grasp it and chose to lower himself. And that's the total wrong point altogether. Jesus didn't do everything we just read about. Jesus didn't descend into greatness, lower himself, die on a cross in spite of the fact that he was God. Like, wow, even though he was God, he died. That's interesting. That's not the point. What we're trying to say here today is that it was exactly because he was God, not in spite of, because he was God, he did what he did. If you look at it this way, here's what I'm trying to boil it down to say. This is more about Jesus revealing his character to humanity over his power and revealing his heart over his position. Do you understand? Let's talk about this and see what it means. The word there, when it's talking about how, um, let's see here, I'm getting caught up in the Greek. I need to go back to what it says actually in English. I'm having a total nerd moment right now. In verse seven, when it says, he made himself nothing. Everyone see that there? He made himself nothing. That's actually one word in Greek. And we're gonna put it up on the screen. And the word is kenosis. Kenosis. Everyone say that with me. Kenosis. All right, so for all you dieting nerds, not, not ketosis, not keto, okay? Not keto, kenosis. Now, kenosis is this important term in Greek. Libraries of books have been written about this word in relation to Jesus. And what kenosis means in the original Greek language is this. It means emptying. Literally, it means to be emptied. We're going to go ahead and put that up. It means to be emptied. It means to set something aside, 
And so in some of uh, some different translations or some older translations of this, instead of saying rather he made himself nothing, you'll see that it says rather he emptied himself. Now the reason scholars change some of the wording there is because it's not the same word that's used for somebody emptying a jar or emptying a cup. That's not what it means. It's a type of metaphorical language in the original Greek. When it's talking about emptying herself, it means the same as setting something aside willingly. Setting aside position and power and prestige willingly, voluntarily putting those things aside and emptying ourselves of our position, our power, and our privilege. Kenosis. So let's get real nerdy here for a minute. The title of this morning's message is what? And so here's the theological question we have to ask is what did Jesus empty himself of when he became a human being? When he took on human flesh. Now we believe he was still fully God and fully human. But there are some things that Jesus temporarily set aside willingly. It's like Jesus became an undercover boss himself. There's a lot going on here. Think about this. Jesus, the first thing that he set aside, if you think about the traditional characteristics and aspects of God, he first set aside his omnipresence. Now, this isn't going to be on the screen. I just want you to follow along. Omnipresence is the word that people use when they talk about God as being always, everywhere, at all times. Like, it's a wonderful thing when I call somebody on the phone and I pray with them, that God is just as much with me on my side of the line as he is with them on the other side of the line. Or whenever you Zoom with a family member, or your parents or your kids, whenever you do that or you FaceTime, or whatever, God is just as much with you on one end as he is with the other. What happened when Jesus became incarnate was he emptied himself of omnipresence. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not China. He became confined to a specific spot in a specific human body to not be all places at all times, but to be in one place at one time. He gave up his omnipresence. Jesus also emptied himself of his immortality. And Jesus, when Jesus took on human flesh, it was born as a baby in a manger, then grew to become a human being, or grew to become a fully grown man. Jesus gave up uh, this part of him where people think God can't die. Well, Jesus shows us that God in human flesh got hungry, got tired, got thirsty, bled, and yes, even died. This is what confounds many other world religions when they look at Christians and they say, you're saying God can die? We say, yes, he can, and he did. Now, what's a little bit more tricky is when people begin to think about other characteristics of God. Like, here's another one, omniscience. Does anyone know what omniscience means? All-knowing means all-knowing. There's times in Jesus' life where he didn't know everything. Put, wrap your brains around that, that God gave up the ability to know everything at all times. There was a one point when somebody touched Jesus' robe in a crowd and he felt the power go out from him and she received her healing and he turned around and he asked a question. He said, who touched me? He didn't know who did. It seems to be, and it appears that Jesus as a human being only knew supernatural things as the Holy Spirit was enabling him to, as a human being, just like the Holy Spirit does to you and I now as spirit-filled followers of him. He let go of his omniscience, and then lastly, his omnipotence. What's omnipotence? All-powerful. He let go, he emptied himself of being all-knowing. He emptied himself of being all-powerful. And it appears 
that Jesus was restraining himself. Even though he could do anything, he restrained himself to only use his power as the Father directed him. You remember when the enemy tempted Jesus in the desert and said, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus said, no, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, do you not know that at this moment I could call on legions of angels to defend me? And yet he didn't. Kenosis, kenosis, kenosis. He's emptying himself of his power, of his knowledge, of his ability to be everywhere. It seemed like for all the window dressings of what people think God would be like, of all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, immortal, incapable of dying, it's almost like Jesus willingly set all of that aside to get all the window dressings and all the things that make our jaws drop in awe of God. He put it all to the side so he could so clearly show us his heart first and foremost and clearest. And this is why people sing songs about Jesus. Sure, he's powerful and we love him for that. But it's he's kind and compassionate and loving and a friend of sinners is why we worship him today. Which makes this interesting here. We read at the beginning of verse 5, Paul says to his people in the church of Philippi, he says, have the same mindset as Jesus in your relationships with one another. So if Jesus emptied himself, the what The question is for us, what in the world are we supposed to do to model that? He was God and he emptied himself of all his power and attributes. What does that mean for us? Friends, it means the same thing. If Jesus walked in kenosis of emptying himself of all of his privileges, you and I, too, must learn to empty ourselves of our privileges for the sake of others. Now, this is not an easy thing to do. This is all hard. Uh, All of us have a little bit of a narcissist inside of us. If you looked at a mirror this morning, you're probably a little bit of a narcissist. All of us have this in us. Um, I remember when I was in fifth grade, um, I I I had the privilege of being a patrol in fifth grade. Everybody remember remember patrols? Anybody hear a patrol too when you're in fifth grade? Yeah? You got to wear the red thing across. You had a little badge. And man, I felt like the stuff when I was a patrol officer. And I remember my very first day, I got to wear my band and all this stuff. And I've waited my whole life to be a patrol officer. And I was wielding that authority, baby. And I got on the bus and some little kid was acting up and me being a big fifth grader looked at him and said, hey, shape up or I'll write you up. (laughs) Mr. Big Shot. The very next day, the very next day, my favorite teacher I ever had growing up in fifth grade, her name is Janet Asera. God bless her. She's awesome. Um, She she called in all the patrol officers in the whole school and all the fifth grade, all the fifth graders had a mandatory meeting the very next day in her room like, gee, what's going on here? Is crime broken out in school that we need to help out with? And she had us all sit down and she reamed us a new one. She said, I heard one of you, like, well, this is not going good. One of you told a kid yesterday that you would write them up 
on the first day of school? Who do you think you are? And I'm just like, don't raise your hand and let her know it's you. Don't raise your hand and let her know it's you. I was talking to Pastor Dale about this story this week. I made a quick trip to Tampa. I was in my parents' home, Zooming with Pastor Dale, telling him this story. My mom stuck her head in the, through the door of the office where I was working. She says, it's been 25 years. That's the first time I've heard that story. <laughs> we all want to feel important. We all want to feel like we're somebody, right? We all struggle with this. There's an interesting book uh, called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. It took me an hour to practice saying that word right. <laughs> Ypsilanti, Michigan. The Three Christs of Ypsilanti, Michigan. Listen to this. So that there um, is a psychologist named Milton Roich. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. He wrote a book about three men, Leon, Joseph, and Clyde, who all suffered from a Messiah complex. Now, these three chronic psychiatric patients at a hospital, they were psychiatric patients at a hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Now, this is kind of funny and kind of sad all at the same time. All three of them were diagnosed with a psychotic delusional disorder, a grandiose type, and they each thought, all three of them, that they were the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Interesting. So this doctor worked with them, and his goal was that they were able to come to grips with the truth about themselves and learn to be just Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. And what he did was he put these men in the same small group, assigned them adjacent beds. These three men had every meal together. They worked at the same jobs in the hospital. And this led to some interesting conversations, as you can imagine. One of them would proclaim in group work, he would proclaim himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God, saying, I am on mission to save the world. I am the Son of God. And the doctor would look at him and go, oh, really? Well, who told you that? God told me that. And immediately, the two other ones would look at him and say, we said no such thing. <laughs> Can't make it up. So here's the bitter irony with this, is that the delusion they each clung to so tenaciously was the very thing that was cutting them off from life. And the problem is, to some degree, all of us suffer from this kind of thing. If it's not uh, that to a level of mentally ill or somebody who has a serious problem, we all struggle like these three guys did. We all want to be noticed. We want to be affirmed. We want to feel special. We want, we like ascending and to feel like we have prominence and power and position and prestige. We all like it. Let's be honest. We're all addicted to it. We all want to be somebody. And what's beautiful about this passage, what it can teach us today, is it gives us the remedy for how to deal with that cancer in the soul. We could see so clearly from the kenosis of Jesus how to defeat those desires in us to learn how to descend into greatness, to grow in the grace of humility. And it's so clear. Put up verse 7 once again, guys. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a a servant. He took on the very nature of a servant. 
And so what we learn is the cure for a heart that's bent on power and prestige and prominence is to learn how to be a servant instead. The great Richard Foster, who wrote in my all-time favorite book other than the Bible, in the book Celebration Discipline, Richard Foster says this, more than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of serving one another. Let me paraphrase that so you don't miss it. If you want to grow in humility, the single best way to do it is to learn to serve other people. And Jesus will let that blossom like a beautiful tree in your heart if you learn to serve. So here are just, let me help get this practical for all of us here today. Like kind of a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of practical teaching and how to get do this boots on the ground this week. Because there's lots of different applications, lots of different age ranges in here. Some of us are younger, some of us are older, some of us are different stages of life. This is going to look different for everybody. But these two things will be constant for everybody in the room. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about learning to serve in the mundane. The mundane. In the ordinary. In the not extraordinary. The not grandiose. See, all of us, there's the urge in us to do something great with our lives. And we think that the the significance of our lives will come down to two or three amazing moments. And really what Jesus teaches is the exact opposite. Go and put up that passage from Luke. We're going to read it from the screen here. Jesus said this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. What Jesus is trying to say to people and to us is that learn to serve your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, Try to learn to serve in the little ways. And that's the little things that matter. Don't look for huge, grandiose gestures. Just do the little things every day and they'll build up over to an entire inheritance in eternity. There's a pastor... Um, in Tennessee, who is, is a, we, I, we heard speak as a church staff, his name's Kevin Queen. He's a younger pastor and uh, just is doing a fantastic job. And I remember hearing him say this in a breakout session at a conference we were at. And he said he, as a young man, still, uh, as a young man, his, his, how do I say this? His mission in life was to do great things for God. He wanted to do great things for God. And that as he matured and learned about following Jesus, rather, that leads to people seeking power, prestige, and honor. It's not the way of Jesus. And so instead he flipped. He said, you know what's really helped me in my life with Jesus? I've actually made way more of an impact with my life. I quit trying to do great things for God, and I started to just do things for a great God. You hear the difference? Quit trying to do great things for God. Start doing things for a great, did I say it right? Try to do things for a great God instead. So what is just the normal, mundane ways this week where you can do a job that is not yours, where you can let somebody win other than you, where you can brag on somebody else other than you, What are the mundane things that you can do? 
here's the last one. Think about just the normal day-to-day stuff and think about the hidden things as well. The hidden things. And this is just really simple here. Listen to this with Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4. Jesus says this, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you're giving me in secret. Therefore, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Richard Foster said again here, he says, nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. It's the flesh that whines against service but it screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. Do something this week to serve somebody in the normal mundane things. And do something this week to serve somebody where nobody else knows. And it's just a secret between you and God. If you learn to do that, you'll descend into greatness. Amen? Amen.